On this week's edition of New York Now, we continue our coverage of New York's influx of asylum seekers with a perspective from upstate New York, where more migrants are being relocated. And later, how well do you know New York's election system? We'll test your knowledge with a new installment of New York And. I'm Dan Clark, and this is New York Now. Today, the Senate majority will pass legislation. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. In the past few weeks, we've tried to bring you a few different views on New York's influx of asylum seekers. And make no mistake, this situation is complex and it's not going away anytime soon. It's estimated that as many as 100,000 people seeking asylum have now arrived in New York. Most of them are in New York City, but a very small fraction have been relocated upstate, with more expected to leave the five boroughs as the crisis continues. But this situation has highlighted an ideological divide in New York at a time when political tensions are high ahead of next year's midterm elections. And politics, as we told you, is very much at play here. Some upstate officials, not all, have been resistant to the asylum seekers, saying this should be handled by Democrats in New York City, who've touted their willingness to welcome migrants in the past. But New York City Mayor Eric Adams says all of New York should be helping with the crisis, which he says could cost the city $12 billion by summer 2025. It's $12 billion that has to come from somewhere. Every service in this city, when we were at uh, $4 billion, I stated that every service in this city will be impacted. So imagine when we had $12 billion. Every service in this city is going to be impacted. And it's not just the city. I asked Governor Kathy Hochul this week how that cost could affect the state's finances as she prepares a state budget proposal for January. Here's what she said. We are going to be helping the mayor, without a doubt. And that's why the conversations are starting now about what we're going to need next year as well. So, so that is a very high number. It may be less than ultimately, but I know the state is going to continue helping the mayor of New York with an unprecedented humanitarian crisis to make sure these individuals are treated with the dignity and respect they deserve. And part of that cost shift could come with relocating more asylum seekers to other parts of the state, which upstate officials are mixed on. But they also say that's going to require planning and coordination with city officials. And that hasn't always happened. While officials in Rochester got a heads up this week before 77 asylum seekers were sent there and welcomed those migrants, a recent situation in Schenectady County played out differently. That's where in July, a Super 8 motel evicted all of its guests, including long-term residents, to make room for a group of asylum seekers. And in that situation, no one says they were given notice from the New York City Mayor's office, which created a lot of confusion and left some people without a home. So now, while this situation continues to evolve, some state lawmakers say there needs to be a fix. That includes Assemblymember Angelo Santa Barbara, a Democrat who represents the city of Rotterdam. He's sponsoring a bill that he says would prevent a repeat of what happened in his district as more asylum seekers make their way upstate. We sat down this week to discuss the bill and how this crisis has played out. Assemblymember Santa Barbara, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. 
Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me on the show. Great to be back. Of course, anytime. So this is a new bill. It has a few parts to it. I want to go over the bill first and then kind of unwrap what is inside of it and how what the implications of it would be. The first is about communication, and I think this is key to this entire situation that we've been talking to over the past year. When the asylum seekers came to New York City, the mayor of New York City complained about the lack of communication from the governor of Texas, sending the migrants to New York City originally. This is a bill that you're saying that there needs to be more communication coming out of New York City to upstate communities or on Long Island where these migrants would be going. So tell me how that would work and what you would like to see in terms of more communication there. Well, essentially, and now what you said is right. There was complaints about uh, you know, other states, uh, lack of communication from other states and this entire process. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, what we're seeing is that uh, Mayor Adams uh, is engaging in that same type of behavior. Uh, and the most recent uh, the most recent situation is what happened at the Super 8 Motel in Rotterdam, yeah. where we received zero communication, uh, zero coordination. We were just as surprised as everyone else left to discover what happened. Only after it happened, people that were thrown out of the Super 8 with an hour's notice, uh, just essentially evicted that day, uh, told to gather their belongings and leave. Uh, they weren't told why. They, some of them thought it was an emergency of some sort. Uh, so what this bill does is this bill is going to require that advance notice uh, if you are moving individuals, uh, 30 day, 30 day notice uh, to let the receiving county know that, hey, we're planning to do this uh, so that it's not a secretive process, which, it, you know, for, for government to operate in secret like this, it's just unacceptable. Uh, this and is it's not good for anybody, you know, like in terms of communication, if they're not prepared to take these migrants at the location then for one, it's not good for the asylum seekers because they're being sent around and they don't know what's happening. And for the locality, I, I assume it's frustrating not to get that heads up. In the Rotterdam situation, I'm curious, uh, how did you find out? I, I mean, if you weren't given a heads up by the mayor. We, uh, we started to get, uh, well, we started to uh, get phone calls at our office asking what was going on there. Uh, some people thought the building was being condemned, shut down. You know, we, did, we didn't even know who was on the buses at that point, but then we, right. we, we were able to, uh, figure out uh, what, exactly what was happening, and then we received news of people being forced out of out of their home. Uh, which, look, you know, there's a whole other discussion going on with the attorney general's office, which I think amounts to illegal evictions. Uh, but the attorney general, hopefully, will be looking into that. So this bill is going to require that you report this information uh, and provide some some relevant information that can help counties make a determination. Uh, how, you know, for starters, how many individuals are coming? This number in Rotterdam kept changing, and it, it, it's still changing. And it, it, is, it is chaotic, it's unfair, and it, it doesn't benefit any party involved. It really ends up hurting everybody. It's just not a good situation that's going to that's gonna lead to a positive outcome. Mayor of New York City, I wrote him a letter, I explained. I explained to Mayor Adams, this is irresponsible behavior. This, this type of behavior has to stop. Now, not to take away with my conversations with the Attorney General, because... People need to be held accountable for what happened at the Super 8 in Rotterdam. People got thrown out. The motel owner, you know, as we discussed uh, before the show started, they bear responsibility here. They went through and they actually threw people out. The mayor of New York City continuing this behavior that is hurting communities. It's hurting the individuals that they're actually trying to help. Uh, so it's, it's not a good situation. So I... The AG really needs to get to the bottom of this. They have the resources to do this, to find out what happened here. You mentioned that you wrote <clears throat> the New York City mayor after this happened. Um, have you heard back? I'm curious about that. Well, that's the interesting thing, is that uh, there was no advance notice. I did write a letter. 
I don't have a response, which what conclusion can I come to besides the fact that you're just going to continue this? You don't care what happens in our upstate communities. You, you're not aware of our, our challenges that we face. We have poverty. We have people with personal hardships. We have pe people that are, as I said, placed there by social services for a number of different reasons. They could be crime victims. It could be domestic violence. It could be a number of different reasons. And I think that the attorney general really should go forward with this and find out who is responsible. We need to hold people accountable because this situation could easily repeat itself. <clears throat> and it could be more individuals next time around. So another part of the bill would require the mayor of New York City, or if this was another situation where another mayor was relocating asylum seekers across the state, they would have to file monthly reports on who these people are, how many people, where have they gone, everything like that. Basically, um, tracking all this information and keeping it in one place and making it available to the public. What's the benefit of those reports? Why would you want those? I think that is an, uh, an important part of the bill. Uh, it's This bill is about transparency. This yeah. bill is about letting everybody know what information is out there, what information is available. Uh, I think it's all helpful information. Uh, and there's a number of different categories uh, in these monthly reports. Uh, and you know, ha to have an idea, you know, how many children are we talking about? Why is that important? The school district now in Rotterdam is asking questions. Yeah. There's 100 kids coming into the school district or whatever the number is. We need to know that. How, how can we prepare? You know, September's almost here. There was, I understand there was individuals that were, were pregnant. You know, there was pregnant yeah. women. So, you know, the medical need, you know, medical, uh, our, our EMS contacted me. You know, they want to know what's going on because they need to be prepared. One, one, one source we didn't hear information from, that was the mayor of New York City. We didn't hear anything from them. But we heard everything that was going on after the fact from everybody else in the community. That's not the way this is supposed to work. I should clarify <clears throat> that the, the people who were kicked out of the motel... That wasn't necessarily the New York City mayor's decision. It was a decision by the Super 8 Motels management, their owner, um, presumably because they were able to get funding from the New York City mayor's office that might have provided more stability or maybe more revenue from them. We don't really know why. But why not have any part of the bill target that kind of behavior against business owners like that, kicking these people out? Well, I think this, uh, this bill is a transparency bill, when it, a government transparency bill. <clears throat> and I think the communication part you know, if this if this bill were in place, that advanced communication might have prevented mm. that from happening in the first place. We could have we could have known uh, and maybe could have prevented all this. But you're right. The motel owner does bear responsibility here. Uh, perhaps that is a separate bill uh, mm. that could be forthcoming. And I think it, it may be needed at some point. I know Schenectady County did pass a resolution uh, that talked about this issue as well. Uh, and there may be, you know, this is where the AG's investigation comes in. And I think if this investigation goes forward, and I hope that it will, uh, we may get some more insight on what exactly can be done legislatively, or is there something in place already that holds uh, individuals like this responsible? There may be something on the books already, but until we have this investigation completed, we probably won't know the answer to that. Uh, but in the meantime, I think that, you know, getting this bill in place will probably prevent the situation in the future. The legislature is uh, out of session until January, unless you come back before January, which I think may be in the cards anyway because of other situations like the Seneca Gaming Compact, a lot of stuff up in the air. Um, do you have any sense of what the support might look like for this when it, it does come up in January? Well, I, th I think that, uh, you know, based on what I've heard so far, I have uh, talked to my colleagues. We, uh, I'm, I'm interested in garnering as much support as I can because uh, I do have a Senate sponsor at this point. Uh, so I have, I have it placed in both houses. Uh, I am talking to fellow legislators. Uh, everyone seems very supportive. There are some suggestions 
Uh, so you may see some t some uh, changes to the bills, some amendments. It usually happens. Yeah, and it, you know, almost always there's some changes. Uh, yeah. But and I'm I'm, get, I'm gathering those those thoughts uh, ahead of time uh, so that if there are some changes I have to make, some minor changes, we can do that because we want to have full support. Uh, and I heard, you know, I'm hearing the same thing you're hearing, that there's a good possibility we'll go back before the end of the year. And I know there's other bills out there that people are talking about. So I want this bill to be ready. Uh, I think it makes sense. It's just one of those good government bills uh, that, that, that says, hey, if you're going to do something, you got to let people know. I don't think that's too much to ask, you know, not to hear from Mayor Adams at this point. It's been a long time now. I did talk to my congressman uh, who, uh, is, who represents the area, who's also been trying to reach Mayor Adams, uh, and he said the same thing. It's been complete silence. We haven't heard back. So I think, you know, the change course here, cease this, this type of behavior uh, and, and come up with a new way that's more, uh, a better strategy that's coordinated is the way to go. For the motel owner, I wrote him a letter as well, or, or I wrote the the company that owns it, <clears throat> a letter as well. Right. Uh, and I asked them, you need to be part of the solution here. What are you going to do to fix this, is what my letter says. You can't just walk away here. You have a responsibility. Responsibility. You were part of this. How are you going to change your practices going forward, be a part of this community, and be a part of the solution? And what are you going to do to help the individuals that got thrown out? You know, this is clearly a situation <clears throat> that is not going away, at least not anytime soon. These people are coming here to seek asylum, and that is not a process that is done in two months. It's usually something that is more than a year, maybe up to two years or more at some different points. Do you think that the state should try to step in and play a larger role in connecting these types of things? You know, the governor and the mayor of New York City have a pretty close relationship. Do you think that she should take advantage of that? I think that, uh, yeah, certainly the state has a role, but really the federal government needs to step in here. And I've written letters to our, all of our federal representatives, um, and they really need to uh, get involved in this situation uh, and advocate for policies that promote good government, that promote the coordination and communication. They need to do that at the federal level. But they also need to address the migrant issue. And it is a federal issue at the end of the day. The states are being forced to deal with this. Just as the town of Rotterdam, uh, this situation was forced on us, uh, the, it was forced on the state. I know it's, you know it's the town of Rotterdam, but you represent the town of Rotterdam at the federal level. They all need to be involved and be a part of the solution. They also need to be contacting the mayor's office, the governor's office, saying, hey, we can't have this. This is a situation we can't have people getting thrown out onto the street uh, that are, have all a number of different challenges themselves. Now, what can be done at the federal level? A lot more can be done. So hence the need for their involvement in this situation. What happened in Rotterdam? What else can happen? The next, next time this happens, could it be more people? Could it harm more individuals? And the answer is, if it happens again, there's a good chance that it will. So you can't just sit around and wait for that to happen. You have to be proactive at this point and put a stop to these practices, this, this irresponsible practice that the mayor in New York City is engaging in, uh, and put an end to that and, and uh, get involved in, this, in the discussion on going forward, how is this going to work? I don't know when this bill is going to pass. Hopefully I said maybe, maybe before the end of the year. But between now and then, what else could happen? A lot could happen. Hence, we need federal representatives to get involved in the situation and deal with what is a federal issue. All right. This is a bill that we will definitely be watching. Assemblymember Angelo Santa Barbara, thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me on the show. And as we said there, the state legislature isn't coming back to Albany anytime soon. We'll let you know when they do and keep you updated as this situation evolves. Turning now to our civic series, New York and... 
Do you remember last year when we had an election right around this time? If you said no, you're not alone. It was a primary election, so some areas didn't have an election that day. But data from the State Board of Elections shows that where there was an election, turnout was low. And that's not uncommon, though we've seen some outliers in the past few election cycles. But there are a lot of reasons why someone might not vote, from a lack of motivation, to forgetting to register, or not knowing there's an election at all. So in this installment of New York And, we're going to lay out New York's entire election system and why you should feel confident in your vote. Welcome to New York and Voting. I'm your host, Dan Clark. With this show, we like to explain the impact that local and state government has on people's lives, while also encouraging folks to be civically engaged and active. And there's no way to make a civics education show without talking about voting. Considering how complex and powerful the Empire State is, casting your ballot is incredibly important. And yet, New York's voting numbers are not that impressive. And in the last several election cycles, there's been plenty of talk about voter fraud and voter suppression. In this episode, we're going to take a look at why every single vote, including yours, matters, and why you can vote with confidence. In 2017, there was a city council election in Troy, New York, that was determined by one vote, just one. While an election being determined by a single vote is a rare occurrence, the fact of the matter is that local elections can run incredibly close, and local governments can have a greater impact on people's lives than you might think. Local government can affect things like what your commute is like, what housing gets built in your neighborhood, your property taxes, policing. Despite this, local elections tend to be the ones that people pay the least amount of attention to. But even outside of local elections, New York's statewide voter turnout is underwhelming, with a state generally ranking in the bottom quadrant of the country. There certainly are reasons why people may choose not to vote. Maybe their district is gerrymandered, and they feel that the election results are already predetermined. Maybe they feel like they're voting for the lesser of two evils and are thinking, I can't believe these are the two options I'm left with. Maybe they feel like politicians simply are not listening to them. That's an issue that Laura Bierman of the League of Women Voters of New York hopes campaign finance reform could help address. So often, candidates are influenced by their big donors. The um, people who have the money are um, you know, donating to candidates and the candidates feel that they need to be responsive to those donors to continue to get the money. Um, that's why the public matching don't, uh, campaign finance system that's starting you know, next year is so important. And we push so much for campaign finance reform so that the candidates will listen to their constituents. New York's new campaign finance program will allow candidates running for statewide office, the state Senate and the state assembly to apply for a public match of donations received between five and $250 with certain stipulations. The idea is to allow campaigns to competitively fundraise without relying on big money donors that some may then feel beholden to. But in addition to campaign finance reform, New York is working to make it easier to vote. Let's take a look. We've already told you about why people may choose not to vote, but it's important to note that New York State and its counties have been criticized in the past 
for a lack of streamlined voting. Voter suppression is when action is taken to prevent or reduce voter registration or the number of ballots cast in an election. This can include adding red tape to the registration and voting process, moving a community's polling site to an inconvenient location, or committing acts of voter intimidation. But the state has been working on ways to make the voting process easier for folks in hopes of improving turnout. We spoke with Jennifer Wilson from the New York State Board of Elections so she could tell us the ways the state is working to improve access to the ballot box. We have really increased our access to voting. Previously, we didn't have early voting. Now we do have early voting, and that is something that will help build our voter participation. We have also decreased the voter registration time, so now voters can register 10 days before an election. That's another thing that can help boost turnout. And we will soon be implementing automatic voter registration here in New York State, and that is another thing that will eliminate the barrier of having to register to vote. People will already be registered automatically through the DMV, so that will also help boost turnout over time. Between campaign finance reform and easier access to voting, New York is working to make elections more meaningful. But what about another voting issue that's been in the headlines lately? Voter fraud and election integrity. We'll get into that next. Voter fraud is the illegal action of attempting to impact election results by casting false votes, voting multiple times, or generally conspiring to alter election results through illegal means. It's also something that rarely happens. There certainly are cases of fraud Recently in Rensselaer County, multiple county officials, as well as a Troy City Councilwoman, were indicted on federal charges for absentee ballot fraud. The thing with voter fraud is that it's practically always caught. Here's Jennifer Wilson's take on it. Our state and, and most states have really extensive check and balance in place. So when instances of fraud do occur and they are very, very rare, but when it happens, they are always caught. We catch the people who try and, you know, submit fake ballots or vote under a fake name. We catch them and a lot of times they go to prison. So it is a very risky thing to do to try and commit voter fraud. So I would say it's something that the general public shouldn't be as concerned about because it, you know, when it happens in the small instances that it does happen, we catch those people and they get in a lot of trouble. To help emphasize the fact that our elections are secure, we thought it would be helpful to describe what happens to your ballot after you cast it. You fill out your ballot and put it in the machine. At the end of the election, the machine prints out a total tabulated vote count. The submitted ballots are then collected and securely transported, often by a police escort, to the county's respective board of elections. But what if the machines counted the votes wrong? Well, that doesn't really happen. For a voting machine to be used in New York State, it must receive certification. According to the State Board of Elections, in order for a machine to get certified, it must count one million ballots correctly. Any mistake in that chain of one million means that the machine will not be used. But even with the use of extremely accurate machines, an audit is still performed after the election, where counties choose 3% of the voting machines they used and compare a hand versus machine count. If discrepancies are found, the audit expands till potentially reaching a county-wide hand count. But that hasn't happened because the machines, again, are incredibly accurate. Votes are tallied between early voting, absentee voting, and day of voting. 
even after a winner is declared, it can take a few months before the election results are officially certified, since the boards want to be as accurate as possible with their safeguards. So what I'm saying is this, vote with confidence, it will count. So we know that New York has made changes to campaign finance and has taken steps to make voting easier. We also know that your vote and our elections are secure and legitimate. But I wanna emphasize again that your vote really counts. Remember when I mentioned the Troy City Council race that was determined by just one vote? Well, in 2020, a congressional race in New York's 22nd district was determined by just 109 votes out of more than 300,000. So even at a larger scale, your voice matters. But your vote matters beyond the numbers. We asked Laura Bierman about her thoughts on why it's important to go out and vote. The younger people have voter participation rates much lower than the older the older generation. And, and so then you think about, well, what are most of the discussions at the national level or even the state level? It has to do with Social Security, Medicare, some of the things that affect those people. Now, if the younger people had a higher voter participation, don't you think that those candidates or those elected officials might be thinking about some of the issues that are more important to the young people. If candidates know that specific generations or groups won't consider voting for them unless certain issues are addressed, then they're more likely to take into consideration the issues those groups find important. It all comes down to making your voice heard and reminding our public servants what we're looking for in our government. Voting is one of the easiest ways to do that. Thanks for watching and until next time, be well. And you can find more from our Civic Series on our website. That's also where you can find more coverage from us. All that and more is at nynow.org. That does it for this week. Thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well. Funding for New York Now is provided by WNET.